You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. It's not going to come the way I assumed. It's not going to come by me just sitting around trusting God. God must be expecting me to take matters into my own hands and quit sitting around waiting on Him. I'm to just do it. What could possibly be wrong with moving things along and making this happen? God just needs my help. Can I tell you something today? Never has God ever needed our help. When you accepted Jesus into your heart, did you realize that it's not all up to Him? Have you been on the sidelines waiting for God to call your number? Or maybe you're in the game ignoring God when He pulls you out. Today in his message, Pastor Jeff explains that if you want to grow in your connection with God, you need to be intentional about putting in the work. No, God doesn't need you to help with His plans. Instead, He simply needs you to show initiative. Set a fire for the sake of God's gospel. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Genesis chapter 16 as he begins his message, Abraham's Greatest Mistake. Now, let me read a little bit here about Abraham's greatest mistake. It says, now Sarai, this is Genesis 16, 1 through 4, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid servant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. All you ladies say she really wanted a baby. (laughs) After Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, look what happened in the home. Her mistress became despised in her eyes. Hagar despised the lady of the house. Now, the time these passages took place, Abraham was 85 and Sarah was 75. Now, they had been in the promised land for about 10 years. And before they were in the promised land, they made a pit stop in Haran that ended up being a five-year stay. And before Haran, they were, that is, Abram and Sarai were married in Ur of the Chaldees for a number of years. So we don't know how long Abram and Sarai have been married, but we know at least, it was at least 20 plus years, 25 years, when what we just read took place. Now here was the problem. There was a major problem. And the problem was that God had told Abraham in Genesis 12, one through three, he promised him, he said, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. Well. That presupposes I've got to have my first child. Or how can I have descendants that are as numerous as the sands, grains of sand on the seashore? How can I be the father of anything if I'm not first the father of one? So God's promise required that Abram sire a child. It required it. But now here we see from all the way back from Ur of the Chaldees, all the way up to now 10 years into the promised land, Sarai is barren, no child, major problem. And this began to work on them. They had a word from God. 
They knew that God had spoken, but where was it? Where's the child? Where is it? Where is the materialization? Where is the appearance of this promise? Lord, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Abram twice decided he would help God out. How many of you have ever tried to help God out? How many of you can say that really went well? So twice in Scripture, the first time happened when Abram looked around and he saw in his household a servant that had been born in his household whose name was Eliezer. And he began to draw close to this little guy, just probably like a son type to him. And he began to wonder if Eleazar couldn't fit the bill. Why can't Eleazar, because we got this barrenness problem, God. But Eleazar, here he is, he's born in my house. No, he didn't come for me, but he's born in my house. Can't we just make this work? Can't this work, Lord? God answered him in no uncertain terms. He said, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Well, that makes it very clear. I can't adopt and make this happen. This is going to have to be from me. And then the second time we read about in uh, the passages we just read together, Abram and Sarah have reached a place, church, where it looks to them like it's not going to happen through Sarah. The fulfillment of this promise is just not going to come about through Sarah. And to tell you the truth, and I'm glad the Bible tells us the truth about the people in it, shows us their fatal flaws, their mistakes, their shortcomings, their, their lapses in faith. And right now, what we've got going on in this account is a lapse in Abraham's faith. His faith is fainting. His faith is faltering. And so is Sarah's. They've waited, they've waited, they've waited. They've believed and trusted and waited some more. They're getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror. And they're realizing we're getting old. Where's God? Where's God? I don't get it. And they came to a conclusion. They said, well, it must be. It just must be. They started using their reasoning, which is why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So they began to lean on their own understanding. They said, this isn't working out, but we must have somehow missed the way that God is going to do this. And they have concluded that it's not going to happen through Sarah. So the first couple of faith, the man who is to become the father of our faith, the first one to be declared righteous by faith, did what we've all done at one time or another. Here's what they did. It began this way. It began with a conflict coming between Abram's timetable and God's timetable. I don't get it. See, when we receive a promise from God, we're not aware of it, but when we get a promise from God, we immediately attach a timeline to it, a deadline to it. This promise from God is going to happen by this, this, and this, and this. We conceptualize the way it's going to happen. We conceptualize when it's going to happen. And invariably, we discover that God's time is not my time. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts, the Bible says. And I'm going to add to it. His timing is almost never my timing. God always waits longer. I was accused Friday night of not being able to wait on things. In La Madeline's. I was accused by two females who were in this room. 
because it seemed to me that they were just taking forever. And I made a comment about it and suddenly I was rebuked. (laughs) You don't know how to wait. I do know how to wait, but how many of you can say, I don't love waiting? So here's what happened. They said to themselves, God is taking too long. We don't understand. We know we've got a word from God, but he's taking too long. He's just taking too long. We believe we're on the right track. Our desire for our Isaac is legitimate. It's healthy. It's normal. And it's biblical. So where is it? And they started thinking the way we start thinking. Apparently, I have just not understood the way it's to come to pass. That's it. It's the way it's to come to pass. That's it. That's what I've missed. I know that it's coming, but it's not going to come the way I assumed. It's not going to come by me just sitting around trusting God. God must be expecting me to take matters into my own hands and quit sitting around waiting on him. I'm to just do it. What could possibly be wrong with moving things along and making this happen. God just needs my help. Can I tell you something today? Never has God ever needed our help. What he does look for is our faith. But he doesn't need our help. Matter of fact, as soon as we say, I think I'm going to help God, we just threw mud in the mix. So Sarah, listen to this, Sarah longing with every atom of her being to hold a child in her arms I'm 75. I've waited for 75 years. I'm an old woman now. I I want to hold a child in my arms. And Abraham longing to bounce a little boy on his knees and also to look into the eye of the one who is the guarantee that all the promises of God to him are going to come to pass. They step out of faith into presumption. Now here's presumption. Presumption is when you assume without getting a word from God. When you assume, you presume. You assume, well, he must want my help. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to make this promise come to pass. I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to kick the door down. We assume that that's what we're to do without having a word from God that that is what we're to do. And we speak, step out in presumption. Remember when David prayed? He said, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. Presumption is when you say, I am presuming that God wants me to do this, that, or the other, and I have no word from him. I'm just presuming. It's the way it looks to me. There is a way that seems right to our natural eye, but the end of it is the way of death. One commentator wrote this, and I wish I had written it, but here's what he said. Catch this. This is so important. This message is worth this quote. He said, in every relation and situation in life, There is some cross for us to bear. Much of the exercise of faith consists in patiently submitting, waiting for the Lord's time, and using only those means which he appoints for the removal of the cross. Selah. Think about that. Only those means God appoints to carry us through the valley to the other side. Not our own best idea, but walking by faith 
And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we as Christians, here's how we obtain promises, not by making it happen in the flesh. We obtain promises by imitating those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So let me tell you about two twins today, faith and patience. Can you say those with me, faith and patience? See, faith never really brings to you what you're believing for unless you mix faith with patience, which helps you to hang around long enough to receive what faith is bringing. Faith and patience are brother and sister, twins, siblings. They work together. And we love the faith part. We don't like the patience part. And here's Abraham and Sarah. They got the faith part. I know that God is going to do this. I know I'm going to be the father of many nations. I received the word from God. But this patience thing is killing me. The Bible says, unfortunately, and Abraham hearkened to the voice of his wife. Most of the time, guys, our wives give us good counsel. But every once in a while, you better hear God. Sorry, wives, I'm just telling the truth. And you wives... We have a lot of wisdom, us men, but we're not always right. Sometimes you need to hear God. He hearkened to the voice of his wife, but it wasn't the voice of God. And in the same way, how many times do we turn aside from believing that God is going to bring this to pass? And we think that we're going to bring it to pass. Now, so he turned to his poor, carnal, weak, feeble, fleshly hands to bring a divine promise to pass. And Abraham took Hagar as his second wife, and they conceived a child, a son, and named him Ishmael, father of the Arab nation. Now, I want to tell you something here. Let's get real about house and home. Abraham loved Ishmael. Abraham loved this boy. This boy came from him. And let me tell you what I think Abraham was saying to himself and with Sarah. He was saying... God honored our plan. God has put a big amen on our idea. Ishmael is going to be a wonderful heir to everything that God has promised me. But you know what the Bible reveals? Almost immediately, you begin to see cracks in the scheme. Like any work of the flesh. Listen carefully. Cracks are going to appear in our schemes anytime we turn to the flesh rather than waiting on God and we birth an Ishmael. And church, virtually everybody in this room has somewhere along the way birthed an Ishmael. And Ishmael is when you say, I'm going to do this myself. I'm stepping outside of faith. I'm going to move in presumption. And through the strength of the flesh, we conceive and we birth an Ishmael. Ishmael is of the flesh. Isaac is of faith, of the spirit. Ishmael is born of unbelief. Isaac is born of faith. Ishmael represents our own best efforts. Isaac represents the move of God. Ishmael represents the flesh, Isaac, the spirit. And the Bible says inside of you and me, there is a battle going on each and every day. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So Ishmael is really a beautiful picture of the flesh inside of us. And Isaac is a beautiful picture of the work of the spirit. The work of the spirit. Cracks began to appear. Ishmael stands in the Bible as a type and a shadow and a picture and an illustration of what happens when our faith faints. We cease trusting God and we act hastily and we act unwisely instead of waiting on the Lord to move. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. 
Wait upon the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. But they didn't wait. They didn't wait. Now I want to look at the consequences of what happened in Abraham and Sarah's life because they stepped out of the spirit into the flesh. And remember, the Bible says that these stories, these accounts that are true historical accounts are given to you and to me so that we will learn from them and not make the same mistakes. So how many of you would rather learn from the Bible than the hard way? Let me see. Amen. So here comes Ishmael. He's born. Here's what I see it did. First, this ill-advised decision brought sorrow to the home. The work of the flesh brought sorrow to the home. When Hagar saw that she was carrying Abraham's child, she didn't even try to conceal her contempt for the first lady. The former slave was now put on an equal plane, an equal level with Sarah. And how many of you ladies can say, I see trouble all over that. This woman who was there to help Sarah was all of a sudden looking Sarah in the eyeball and sticking her tongue out at her, essentially, and saying, I gave him a child and you couldn't. And it did not go over well at all. The Bible says, and when she saw that she conceived, that is, Hagar saw that she conceived, Sarah was despised in her eyes. A competitive spirit entered that home. The flesh always brings bad things to the home. Your Ishmaels always bring bad things to the home. Affections were divided now. Abraham had to show affection to both. Loyalty was strained. And peace is now replaced with bitter rivalry. This home that was a home of faith called of God. I mean, this man that had a call on him like nobody in his generation. Yet he now has let an Ishmael, the work of the flesh, have a major part in his home. And it brought trouble. You know what gets me? If only they had waited a few more years. Because the 21st chapter of Genesis tells us all about the boy Ishmael growing up. And it says that when he was about 13 years old, Sarah called Abraham into the bedroom and said, I got news for you. What's up? She says, I'm pregnant at 90. He was 100. Every man in here say, go Abraham. So here's 13-year-old Ishmael, and now the promise comes to pass. And I want you to see what it says. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age according to the set time of the Lord. Now I want to just pluck that phrase for a second and just look at it. At the set time. I want you to catch this. This tells us that our God is a God of perfect, exquisite timing. Our God is a God of timing. He doesn't go with the flow. He never says, oops, and he never says, well, I'll be. He knows exactly what he's doing, precisely where he's going, millennia before it ever happens. And there is an exact, express, exquisite, perfect timing for everything that God does. So it says, at the set time. So this whole time, they were confused and wringing their hands and filled with angst and trying to make it all happen on their own. If they had only been able to peer into the portals of glory, and into God's heart, they would have seen that he had a calendar and there was a day marked on it. And it said in that little square, Isaac conceived. He had a perfect time, a set time for all this to come to pass. And where does that leave you and me with the promises of God? Let me tell you where it leaves us. Every promise of God, are you ready? Every promise of God to you and to me is like a seed. And inside that seed is a timer. And there is a time 
when God has decreed that that seed will come forth. The Bible says in due season, you will reap if you do not faint. That means in the right season, your promise is due. You know, we've got women in here that are pregnant. If I say to that woman, hey, I see you're expecting a child. When is it due? She'll tell you exactly what the doctor has said. Because all of life is built on this principle that with everything there is a season and a designated time for every purpose under heaven. And so every promise impregnates us by faith with a blessing that is coming, but there is a due date for it. Now, I'm going to tell you exactly why God did it this way. Because when this happened, he was 100, she was 90. Why did God do it this way? Let me show you why. Because God wanted Isaac to be a miracle child, a product of faith, not of flesh. And every promise he brings to pass in your life and mine, he wants it to be a miracle answer, a miracle provision, a miracle materialization of a promise that he gave us. He waited till Abraham and Sarah were so old in years, far beyond reproductive years, so that nobody could get the credit for the birth of Isaac but God himself. Isaac is a type of Christ. Jesus was a miracle conception. Holy Ghost moved across Mary And that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. And so you got here a type of Messiah, a type of Christ in Isaac, that he was born to a couple that were far beyond the ability to to reproduce. And yet it happened, and it happened by faith, not by the work of the flesh. So now you've got in the household two things. You've got the work of the flesh and the work of the Spirit. In the same house. Work of the flesh here, work of the Spirit here, living in the same house house. I want you to know today, church, that how many of you are believing God for something today? Come on, raise your hand high. If there is something you're believing God to do, and how many of you can also say, I've been waiting a while? Let me see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm preaching to the right crowd because guess what? That's the Christian life. We walk by faith and not by sight. And all the promises of God come to pass by faith mixed with patience. And our God, we need to realize today, is a God of incredible timing. There was a set time for Isaac to be born, a set time for Jesus to be born. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. There was a set time for Jesus to die. There was a set time for Pentecost. The Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that's talking about timing. So there was a set time, a microsecond, when God had decreed the Spirit of God would be poured out upon all mankind. And at that set time, the Spirit fell. Now, let me excite you with one more thing. There is also, since there was a set time for him to be born, a set time for him to die, a set time for the Spirit to fall, there is a set time marked on God's calendar right now as I speak when the trumpet is going to blow and Jesus is going to return to earth the second time. It's a set time. It's a set time. And when that time comes, even Jesus said, no one knows the time but your Father who is in heaven. But that time is going to come and God's going to turn to his Son who is sitting right now at his right hand and he's going to say, Son, it's time. Go get your bride. And that trumpet's going to blow and you're going to be walking along just minding your own business and all of a sudden, boop, you're going to be looking at the one who died for you. At the set time. At the set time.
So first, Ishmael brought sorrow to the home. Second, Ishmael brought a divided home. In your walk with Jesus, have you ever been impatient with His plan? Oftentimes, when we're shown what He has in store, it's not quite how we pictured it. Today in his message, Pastor Jeff showed you the endless benefits of allowing God's perfect timing to manifest itself in your life. Stop being controlled by the world's opinions and let patience be at the center. Experience an awakening in your relationship with Jesus by letting go of the controls. Here's Diane with some more info about Hardwired. Are you interested in partnering with us here at Hardwired? We'd love for you to come alongside us in supporting this ministry. All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. That number once more is 817-484-4767 and text GIVE. Thanks so much for prayerfully considering this today. And thanks for listening. Daniel has more to tell you about what's ahead on the upcoming edition. Have you ever felt like God is punishing you? Have you ever said the phrase, why me? In his next message, Pastor Jeff reminds you that the choices you make have consequences. This doesn't mean that when you're going through difficult times, it's because of something you did. Instead, take stock of God's plan and remain fully committed to what you know He's calling you to do. When you're not all in for God, you won't experience His blessings. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Genesis next time on Hardwired.